Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Natural Running Network. My name is Richard Diaz, and what I hope to do is introduce you to some amazing athletes and luminaries from the sports science community, and what has come to be expected, I'll provide some highly opinionated rants on all aspects of endurance sports and my current favorite, obstacle course racing. Now sit tight, grab a cup of coffee, and let's do this. Well, here we are. This is a live feed. And it's been quite some time since we've done this. And I think it was Zoe's idea. Zoe, you there? It was, it was not my idea. This is totally your idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're here and we're doing it. Got a lot of questions. Did you get a lot of questions too? Yeah, I was looking through the questions actually again this morning. There's a lot of good ones. Yeah, there is. And we've got a couple live callers on, too. Did you manage to speak with the gentleman from 724? I haven't yet, because um, he was in before I logged in, so I wasn't sure if he grabbed him yet. All right. Well, let's, let me go ahead and give him a live mic. In the meantime, you could dance a little bit, okay? All right. Sounds good. I'll grab the other one. <laughs> All right. All right, guys, so we are live here. Rich is just going to be grabbing our first caller. Um, once again, if you have any questions for us, be sure to call in, and we're going to be answering them for the next hour. Did you give her the number? Did you just talk to him? I talked to 724, and I put him on hold, and we've got 780 on hold. That's Walter. And um, But anyway. All right. So let's just, first. Well, let's do this. Let's uh, let's just kind of lay out the the deal here. So we're going to do the best we can to answer questions on live first, since they've taken the time to make the call. They have priority. Then we're going to go through our list of calls or list of questions that we got. I'm burping up my coffee. <laughs> and uh, after after we, uh, you know, we're going to just hit them as we can, best we can, right? Yep, sounds good. All right, you want to grab your first one? Yeah, let's grab the first fellow, okay? All right. Walter from Canada. What part of Canada? Oh, Oh. hey there. I'm from Edmonton, Alberta. Alberta. You betcha. Did you know know that we were planning on coming to... Hi, thanks for calling in. Can you hear me? Yeah, you betcha, Zoe. We can all hear you. Um, What was... Oh, sorry, guys. Well, I'm trying to to grab another caller for you. I am in the green room. Hold on a second. No, you're not. Okay. Sorry, guys. That was Zoe. She's new. But anyway, Walter, you're from Alberta. Did you say Alberta? You betcha. Not too far from Vancouver where you'll be uh, soon. I don't know if I can make it to your clinic, though. Oh, dude. You know what? I'll tell you what. We are on the cusp of making a decision as to whether we're coming or not coming because we have enough people maybe to get there, but... Um, it's just a little tough to just do it for a sport, you know? Yeah, you betcha. I'll see what I can do. Yeah, I would appreciate any kind of a plug. We're actually giving them through tomorrow to make a decision on this, and uh, I really would love to get out there. And I've never been to Vancouver, and I really would like to be there. But in the meantime, what is the question you have for us? Uh, I got a couple, if that's okay. Yeah, that's okay. I guess the first one is uh, your post, uh, I think it was yesterday, with bringing out the big guns, the uh, contraption that uh, is suspending Zoe. What is that all about? Okay, so that's a good question since Zoe's here as well. Um, the the system that you see is an unweighting system. I can control how much load the subject is able to carry on their own while they're on the treadmill. So what I did is I reduced her body weight by about uh, 25%, 30%. And that way, it, it minimizes the inhibition because she's got a hip injury, and if she was to put too much load on the hip, she'll get pain. And then obviously enough, because of the pain, she'll start to alter the way she's moving and so on and so forth. So the, the process right now is to get her into a comfortable gait 
getting into a place where she can run appropriately off of her forefoot as opposed to heel striking, which is probably what got her into trouble to begin with. And then Mm -hmm. we're going to, yeah, yeah. So she can attest to it. So we're going to progressively get her to a place where she not only can bear the load, but find her gait. And then um, we're going to give her more of her weight back as time goes on. But there's a little, there's little stuff here and there that we need to work on, but I'm pretty optimistic and I've already made it my, my life's ambition to heal Zoe before it's over. (laughs) Perfect. It's that his mission. Good. It's his mission to uh, fix Zoe right now. <laughs> it is awesome. Awesome. You Just know, uh, another. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Uh, no, please. Oh yeah. Other than going to Vancouver, <laughs> what is the easiest way for me to up the cadence? Uh, I've been, you know, listening to your podcast for a while. I'm, I'm consistently in that 170 um, range. Um, and I'm working on on the midfoot strike as well. But what's the easiest way to kind of get that last uh, ten strikes per minute that I'm that I'm after to get to that 180 range? Well, the the problem typically is in that case that you're still overstriding, and we got to get that corrected first because when whenever now I have clients around the world that are sending me data and I'm looking at what they're what they're doing with their cadence and their heart rate and their pace and such. And nine out of ten times when they tell me, I'm getting better, I'm getting better, I'm, I'm not like 174, I used to be at 165, whatever it might be, um, I can almost nine out of ten times be assured that they are still overstriding. And they'll send me video, and by looking at the video, sure enough, they are in fact overstriding. So what, what the, the principal thing you want to consider is that your foot needs to remain beneath your knee when you make ground contact. So forget right. about where you're you're reaching or not reaching. Just don't change the lever system from your hip to your knee. And what happens with most people is they start to draw their knee up and they stop drawing their knee up and then they extend their foot ahead of their knee and that results in uh, it doesn't make a difference whether you're forefoot landing, your heel striking, whatever, you're imposing a braking force and the gait cycle takes longer. So testament that things are working out is when your cadence is easily at 180 strides per minute. And so I guess the first thing I would recommend is slow down. Okay. You had another question. Perfect. No, that's good. I, uh, I just had a couple for you and I appreciate it and love the show. Thank you. Well, thank you, sir. And I, uh, listen, tell your buddies out there in Canada, we'd love to come. I'm getting old, man. We can't wait till next year or year after that. <laughs> You know, there's only so many more old old guys rule. (laughs) Yeah, there's only so many more punch marks left on my dance card. (laughs) Perfect. I would love to come out there. I really would. And I mean, I'm going to book. I will book my flight on Friday if enough people get in touch with us and work it out. All right. So thank you for calling. You can hang out if you want. Have a great day. Okay, you too. Will do. Let's get to Ryan. Yeah, let's get to Ryan, Zoe. All right, I'll have you grab him. He's all ready for you. All right. Ryan, I'm sorry I kept, kept you waiting so long, but thank you for being patient. No problem, Richard. How are you doing today? Excellent. Hey, quick question. It's actually a follow-up, and you and I have had this discussion uh, previously, but I think it would be great for the OCR community and just running in general following up from last podcast. You know, what tools should we have in our own toolbox for dealing with injuries um, and taking care of ourselves? Um, you know, cause you know, getting ready for a race last year, you know, I experienced some problems. You helped me through it, you know, but again, that, what, what, what do you recommend for people out there to have in their own toolkit to help deal with injuries? And then also, you know, the, the not running through the race, even though you're injured. You know, that's an excellent question, Ryan. And I'm really glad that you asked it. I, I know that you had written it into social media and I thought, yeah, that's a good question. And I was going to get to that anyway. So even better to have you live with it. Um, mm-hmm. I love, you know, I don't need to tell you, I love rock tape. Mm-hmm. I've been using, I've been using rock tape on my clients for the past decade. And believe me when I tell you, I would not be using it if it had not been as effective as it's been for me and for the people I work with. So number one consideration is get some tape. And uh, I would not just get out and buy any old KT tape because they're just 
they're just not as uh, efficient or effective as rock tape. And for example, if I tape you, I'm going to get about five or six days out of that taping. That's assuming that you take a shower. That's assuming that you're doing your daily, you know, duties and, and you're going to get through it. As a matter of fact, you probably, well, you weren't here for that, but, uh, we did this clinic here locally and, uh, Chris Herber, shout out to him. He was during the, during the clinic, he had some trouble with his hamstring leading into the clinic. I had taped him on Saturday, I believe it was. And on Sunday, he still had the tape on. We ran five miles up in the mountains, came back down, ran up and down sand dunes for uh, close to an hour then I had these, them all doing burpees and diving in the ocean and coming back out and doing burpees, rolling around in the sand, in and out of the ocean. Tape was still holding up. I challenge any other tape to be able to survive that. So I absolutely have tape on board. And I also would recommend, you know, it's going to sound like a commercial for rock tape, but, you know, <laughs> these guys are out there and they're getting some stuff done very diligent about helping people move better. The floss, which is not new. I mean, a lot of people might be familiar with voodoo band. At the end of the day, it's basically a length. I think it's about probably about six feet long length of rubber strip. And the idea with the floss is it's really effective in helping to free up fascia and to reduce inflammation. So let's say, for example, that you're having a little bit of IT band issue you would mm-hmm. use the floss initially and floss, meaning you wrap the rubber around your leg downstream first. So below the knee, work your way up past the knee and put it on nice and snug and then put your knee through a range of motion, operate for about two minutes, pull the floss off and then go through range of motion in to let the blood flow back into the area. And then uh, after you've done that, come behind it with some tape. Now, there are some other tools that I think are effective. Uh, a lot of people use lacrosse balls, foam rollers, things like that. But honestly, at the end of the day, I like the floss and I like the tape as primary considerations. Um, and, I mean, the floss goes a long way. You can find videos on YouTube on using, you know, these devices and certainly go to rocktape.com. They've got a lot of tutorials on various taping applications. Awesome. Great stuff. Yeah, because I know you and I have had this conversation before, and I watched you do uh, wonders out of Jersey, or actually Philadelphia, with a young lady that came in in a knee brace, and then you had her running on a treadmill by the, uh, by the end of the uh, afternoon. So I think it's just important for people to realize, you know, injuries are going to happen, but it's how you take care of yourself. Um, and it's more tools you can have in your toolbox to keep you out there running. Yeah, that was an interesting thing. I'm glad you brought that up. So just for the audience's sake, and in the event that this lady is listening, this woman comes into my clinic, and she's kind of got a scowl on her face, and her husband's got a bigger scowl on his face because she's got a knee injury, and I prompted her to come anyway. She had prepaid for the clinic, disturbed because she was thinking, you know, this guy's probably not going to give me my money back. Maybe he'll let me have my husband use it or whatever, and you know, there was just a lot of negativity in their faces when they first came in and appreciate I'd not met either one of them uh, in person before, did not know them. But anyway, I said, look, humor me. Let me see if I can treat you. If I can't help you get back in the game, then certainly we'll let your husband use the, uh, the pass or refund your money, whichever is most appropriate. And so she was cool enough to let me do it. So I, I got after her with, um, the blade first, I used the rock blade and I went up and down the inflammation and worked her IT band a little bit and essentially moved some of the inflammation out of the knee, came behind it with the rock floss and then came behind the rock floss with a taping procedure. And she came away from it instantaneously finding that she had range of motion she didn't have when she walked in. And I convinced her that she should try to do the VO2 test the following day. And in fact, she was able to do the VO2 and conduct herself for the entire weekend for all the things that we did and was basically completely turned around in respect to the whole experience and 
I think I made a friend for life. And even her husband, you know, he got to be pretty jovial and had a good time throughout the whole thing. I'm sure you remember the, you know, the Santa Claus shorts and hat he was wearing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. So it was kind of cool because I took somebody that came into the clinic that was really kind of on the edge of wanting to kill me. And we ended up being good friends afterwards. So I really uh, appreciate it. I'm glad you brought that up. Good stuff. Hey, thanks again for all you guys do. Hope you have a great day. All right, buddy. Thanks for calling. No Who else we got, Zoe? Uh, we just still have our first caller. He's still listening in. Um, oh, cool. But it's just you and I right now. All right, you and I in this list of questions. Yeah, I know. I was just looking through them. Did you have kind of one that you've been itching to answer? Um, not really, but why don't you pick one, and then let's just go from that. All right, let me look here. I'm looking at the list of questions. Let's see. Oh, wait a minute. Can we do this one first? I, yeah, you I, I, I was going to put it on you, but since you're looking, you, you can look at the list while you hear this because I had asked okay. this question, or I had this question asked, and I think it's kind of cool. So this is from okay. Bruce Fisher. And Bruce Fisher said, for Zoe. <laughs> so this is a question for you, okay? All right, all right. Um, what is your favorite part about Richard Diaz? <laughs> <laughs> I saw and that also, question too. <laughs> yeah, also, what would you suggest for the following? During MSD training, my weak link is the instability, or excuse me, inability to distance on knee from other during strike. I don't know what he's saying. Um, it's, uh, it's uh, you know, they write this stuff, and I'm trying to decipher it. It's as though my hip muscles are way too tight, and they don't want to loosen. I think he's trying to talk about getting his, his hip angle to open up. But before I go to that, why don't you answer his question first? I was going to say, I think that second part of the question is for you. Um, so what do I like about working with you, or what do I like about you? What was the, what was the uh, question? I'm just gonna Something read, about you. I'm going to read it to you the way <laughs> I see it. It says, what All is right. your favorite part about Richard Diaz? My favorite part about Richard Diaz. Hmm. <laughs> um. Am I allowed to swear on live? I'm not allowed to swear, right? If you want to. All right. Well, he doesn't bullshit with me. You don't bullshit with me. You tell me like it is, um, and that's what I really, really like about you. So I like that you just don't bullshit with me at all. Well, I bullshit, um, but (laughs) when it comes to training, usually I'm pretty straightforward. I I just don't – the way I look at it is – like a like a plumber that comes into your house, right? You're looking at a a, a toilet that's overflowing. Well, the last thing you want to hear from the plumber is, "Wow, what a nice bathroom! Uh, what do you want me to do with this?" Right? <laughs> you don't need yeah. patronization. What you need is somebody to 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 deal with the situation and and handle the problem. And I think the process of coaching, you really just have to be straightforward. You have to you have to give up the information. If somebody's looking for kumbaya, they're looking for a pat on the back, I'm not that guy. Go to church or something, you know. But if you're looking for training, that's kind of what I do. So, you know, Zoe, I love you, but, I, you know, i got to give it to you the way I see it. <laughs> you may not always love and, it. but that's... No, and that's what I appreciate, and that's what I like about you, is I like that you just tell me how it is. Um, I don't like that you sugarcoat it. <laughs> yeah, well, you know I don't do that very often. No, no. <laughs> Okay, so the other end of the question was about MSD training, which for those that are not aware, MSD is my term for motor skill development training. And in essence, what that means is you're trying to challenge your mechanical threshold. There's a point in your ability to move faster where the corruptions will come in and you'll start to make mistakes with the way you move. So, for for example, you may begin to overstride, heel strike. You may... uh, go too quick or too slow with your cadence. Maybe you get kind of wonky with arm swing and what have you. And a lot of it is a result of you challenging yourself to go faster. So motor skill development drills, are you finding that point in the road where things start to go wrong? Identifying the problem, backing off, slap yourself a few times, recover, and then attempt it again. And what happens through that process is collectively you should be able to create greater and greater speeds before things go badly. In other words, you'll have improvements in your peak velocity, which ultimately will result in sustainable speeds in your running efforts. 
And what he's speaking of is that he's trying to figure out why one knee is leading a little further than the other. And he feels like he's uh, encumbered by tight hips. So at the end of the day, if you make good ground contact, what happens is you're going to garner some free energy from gravity. So if you reach a little too far ahead of your body, you're creating a breaking force. You're not in the sweet spot. When you start landing on the sweet spot, you're going to get eccentric energy that comes out of the, the, the force production off the ground. And that is going to cause your hips to open up. So even being tight in the hips is not necessarily a bad thing. As a matter of fact, if you were to compare springs, a spring that is uh, tighter creates more force than a lax spring. So I don't think that, you know, and if you're trying to chase down what do I got to do to open my hips up, um, the answer is make sure your ground contact is efficient. Get it closer to your center mass and you're going to be golden. All right. So looks like we got somebody else, huh? Yeah, you got another caller if you want to grab her. Let's grab her. Let's grab her. Come on, work for me. Hello, Jen. Hello. Hey, how are you, Rich? Who am Can I talking to? Can you hear me to? okay? Yeah. This is Jen Murgatroy. Can you hear me? Yes, yes. How are you? I'm good. Yeah. Talk so to me. So I, I did leave a question for you in your post, but I think you also saw my post last week about when I returned home from your latest clinic. Yeah, I'm reading it right now. Regard- it says, can you can you get an accurate VO2 test if you are slightly uh, claustrophobic or panic about air intake? Yeah, I did have another question for you. If you wanted to talk about something else, I, I don't care. Just you tell me what yeah. you want me to talk about. I'm doing it. You're on the line. <laughs> well, well, as you said, that is that is of interest to me. Um, but also, um, when I got home from your latest clinic. I posted that I noticed a change in uh, one mile per hour in my uh, on the treadmill in my time when I'm staying at an aerobic heart rate and just running a mile at, on flat treadmill. So I was incredibly impressed by that, and I didn't expect that much change, you know, in a difference of three or four days after seeing you. But really just in working on my uh, how I was holding my arm swing, with the comments that you had made while I was down there. I mean, I thought my Garmin was broken. My heart rate just was not rising, and I was going one mile per hour faster than I was the week before. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah, you know, I I get this, believe it or not, I get this a lot, Jen. I I mean, uh I get this a lot. Uh, I just was seeing a post this morning on Instagram from Mario Londano, who came out, from Florida to that very same clinic. Mm-hmm. And he told me that he also PR'd by in his, was his 5k time? His 5k time. I think he PR'd by 47 seconds overall, which, you know, when you start getting down there, your numbers start getting quicker and quicker. You get uh, close to a minute bonus. And we're talking, it was last week, right? You know, it's almost yeah. like the magic wand, right? Absolutely. So, I thought yeah, my watch so- was broken. No, it's not. You're just working better. <laughs> your 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 watch is working the same. You're working better. And and well, I, 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 by the way, I, I think by the time I see you in July, you'll probably see even greater gains. And so I'm assuming that your question is is that you have a little issue with claustrophobia. Uh, yeah, I I know that you wear a mask. Yeah. And I'm just, yeah, I'm just concerned about, you know, not panicking and having a spike in my heart rate. All right. Well, look, here's what we're going to do. First of all, this is not my first rodeo. And I've had people that really had serious claustrophobia and was able to get them through the test. Now, the, the important thing to remember here is um, when you say accurate VO2 test, accurate can mean a lot of things. What is principally important to me as we identify your threshold and your threshold is going to come on earlier, obviously enough than your VO two max. And let's just say that towards 85% of the effort, you just had enough and you just can't take that mask anymore. If we pull you out, I'll have what I need to give you good prescription for your training. 
And I have had many occasions where people just really did not like being in that mask. And typically Mm -hmm. what I like to do is let them kind of put the mask on and breathe through it and play with it a little bit before we do the test. So it's not this big shockeroo when you put the mask on. Mm-hmm. And then and then I kind of walk you through it, talk you through it, and try to peel you off the ceiling a little bit. And, I, you know, I'm, again, I, I've done this so many times at this point. There's pretty much nothing I haven't seen yet. So I'll get you through it. One way or the other, you'll get through it. Okay, perfect. I mean, that would be my goal, too, is just knowing what those thresholds are. Well, it's huge. And I tell people all the time that what really matters is the epicenter. It's the time where things start to change, your metabolic turn point. And so I'm going to see what the energy costs are, where the energy is coming from, what the heart rate was associated with those points in the road, and then start making some conclusions about how much further up above that number we're going to operate when we're doing intervals and such. And I'll paint a picture for you that's very workable. And, you know, it's almost unfortunate we didn't get a chance to test you this last time because by July you would have been in a much better place. Right. Well, I definitely look forward to it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it too. Uh, Killington happens to be one of my favorite places to do this kind of thing. And as I suggested to many of you folks, the host there, Patrick Kitchen, i got to give him a little shout-out, is amazing. We're going to be staying at the Cortina Inn in Killington. And that is in July. Anybody that's interested should look at the naturalrunningcoach.net to find information. How is that for a plug for myself? Perfect. Okay, Jen, so I will see you soon. Keep up the good work. Thank you. Take care. By the way, let me know. Let me know if you get more gains between now and then. Let everybody know. Will do. All right, cool. Thanks, Rich. Thanks, Zoe. All right, you're welcome. Have a good one. You do. Okay, Zoe, it's on you. You see anything else in there? Uh, we don't have any callers coming in at the moment, so I'm going to go to the questions. Let's see right. here. I have one from Dustin Livingood. He said, right. is, it okay to, is it okay to run over the 180 cadence? When I feel like I'm running smooth and fast, my cadence is between 182 and 186, or should I try to stick to the 180? Excellent question. All right, so people get confused about this. And I tell people that 180 is like being home. It's your comfortable place. You're going to be most efficient there. You're going to find most economy there. But it doesn't mean that you can't bust out every now and then when necessary. So the other end of it is if we entrain ourselves to that stride frequency and our effort to create more speed is kind of the goal. What we're trying to do is we're trying to see how much faster we can get without having to open, open up that uh, floodgate and crank out that cadence faster and faster and faster because that gets expensive. Now I realize, you know, he's not a real tall guy. Uh, generally guys that are shorter of stature are more comfortable with higher cadence and they do it a lot, but still your heart rate races along with it. So the idea is if you could stay at 180 strides per minute and in training, focus on trying to extend your stride. And your stride, again, as I spoke about earlier, is going to be a function of good force production off the ground. You're going to get a little bit more stride, which is going to cover a little bit more distance relative to the standardized frequency. So let's just say that we're running along nicely, racing someone at 180 strides per minute, and you want to mess with them a little bit. You could punch it up to 190 put a little stress on them, lay back to 180, and just start screwing with them a little bit. You can really find greater and greater performances once you command your cadence at large, regardless of whether you're going over. But at the end of the day, we don't want to go under. Going under means that your your gait cycle is slowing down because you're starting to reach ahead of yourself. And if that happens... You're, you're imposing a braking force, and you're actually slowing down and trying to work harder for, for less performance. So good question. And what do you think? Did I answer it, or should I, did I leave them hanging there? I think you answered it. And then right, I'm cool. looking through your questions again to add on to another cadence question. It's going to be a little different, though. This is from Seth. He says, 
With the new Spartan Mountain Series on a lot of people's radar this year, how would you approach downhill training? Is there an optimal cadence for downhill running? How should a smooth or how should a smooth versus technical downhill service affect my cadence? That's a really good question too. So the advantage of downhill running is that gravity is now at your back regardless. Now you can still overstride and impose a braking force, which is going to magnify the gravitational forces pushing against you, which is going to put you like the, uh, the white stuff in an Oreo cookie. You're going to get squished. So if you can increase your cadence and keep your foot closer to your center of mass when you land, that would be optimal. Now, I approach downhills in my clinics in three fashions. One, you could bomb down the hill with big, big, long, leaping strides, which requires a tremendous amount of stability and and joint integrity. You can increase your cadence and just buzz down the hill. And same thing, keeping your, your ground contact near your center of mass and be fine. And or you can uh, traverse the hill, depending on how steep it is, to break up the speed a little bit, but still keeping your cadence as close to your center of mass as possible. So that becomes kind of a hybrid option where you might do both. Parts of the hill you can bomb, parts of the hill you you bump up your cadence. But at the end of the day, what you want to do is experiment with various approaches to that downhill and do that by actually imposing very specific downhill repeats. So running downhill one way, walk back up, recover, run back down another way, and just start feeling it out. Find out what works best for you. I have athletes that are very, very stable, and they get away with a ton. You look at guys like John Alvin, who just scream straight down a mountain, and he can do it better than most anyone. And then you got guys like Hunter McIntyre. He comes plunging down a mountain. He doesn't really use a real high cadence, but he takes strides that are so far down the mountain, but his contact point when he lands on the ground is very near his center of mass, so he's very stable when he does it, and he's got tremendous joint integrity. His, his ankle, knee, and hip are really well suited for that approach. But there are some people that intuitively their body will not allow them to get away with it. Their central nervous system will start shutting them down because they're not as stable as someone like Hunter, and they get into trouble if they attempted that. So a better approach for someone like that would be to, you know, try to run with a higher cadence and, and hit the hill. And then that's something you work on, too. It's like surfing. You've got to get better and better and better at getting up that downhill. Yeah, I think I think you answered that question pretty good. <laughs> Did the best I could. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna try to kind of continue on with the question since that one was based off of the mountain series for Spartan. There's another question in relation to that. So okay. it's a training question. This is from Matt Engler. Uh, considering the majority of the races on the Spartan schedule are mountainous, wondering how the training may be adjusted to accommodate the climbs where the heart rate would jump to the higher levels. Should we still be striving to train in an aerobic state while complete, completing mountain training runs? Well, there's no, um, there's no this way or that way in any training, regardless of whether you're climbing a mountain or whether you're running on flat road. You need a very, excuse me, you need a variety of intensities and a variety of approaches to your training. And what I like when I have someone leading into a mountainous race is lots of hill repeats. And the hill repeats, for the most part, because they're short duration, we're not really given much energy to the top end heart rates. What we're really given energy to is the recovery time. And so, for example, if we were going to do one-minute hill repeats, you're going to go up as hard as you can for a minute, recover at the top until you get back down to the bottom, ensure that your heart rate is a testament that you recovered well enough to approach the work again, and then continue those type of repeats. And what that's going to do is it's going to really help to develop your force production through your hip, improve your power. And then you, you're going to add to that some rolling hill workouts. You're going to add to that some downhill workouts. You're going to add to that a lot of aerobic conditioning. 
Principally in endurance sport, aerobic conditioning is king. The more aerobic you can become, the better you are at staving off lactate production, the better you are at sustaining the work over time, the better you are at accessing your fat stores and sparing your, your glycogen stores. And at the end of the day, you need all of it. You need the power. You need the aerobic conditioning. You need the ability uh, skill-wise to get downhills. And so it's really a, mat- a matter of how you arrange the work and the volume e- of each of those components in your training week. Did I lose you, Zoe? Yeah, sorry. My service here is awful. No, I can hear you again. All right. Okay, good. So you want to move on to another question, too? This one also has to do with mountain trails. It's kind of that's the theme, I guess. All right. Alan Lewis wants to know, many OCR athletes who don't have access to mountain trails spend a lot of time training indoors on incline treadmills at 15 to 30%. This means lower impact and probably more gradual wear and tear on our running shoes compared to athletes training mostly outdoors. How often should we be replacing our running shoes? The internet rule of thumb is five to six months or 20 miles per week. Would this still apply for mostly indoor training? You know, that's really a a pretty interesting question because when you buy running shoes, they try to tell you kind of how much wear you should get out of them relative to the amount of time you spend in them. And what I find is that when you run better, your shoes last longer. Now, that might sound, seem a little weird, but realize that what degrades the rubber on the bottom of the shoe typically is friction. So when you're imposing a braking force, you'll start noticing that you're, you're sliding into the earth and that, that friction you create will start to wear the rubber. And when you're landing closer to your center of mass, you're actually setting your foot down neutrally and you're minimizing the amount of friction. I get a lot of yardage out of my shoes. I don't really think in terms of replacing my shoes that often, um, but I'm certainly not as proficient in my running ability as I had been in my life. Um, so I will find some wear spots. But uh, And realize, too, that the shoes I wear are very minimal. They're very lightweight, and you would think they break down sooner. But I actually get pretty good yardage out of them. What you don't want to do is look at the upper and say, well, she looks pretty good. I'm in a good place. Because a lot of times what happens is the EVA starts breaking down over time and there's no apparent wear on the shoe. Um, But I just think that when you start to feel the shoe's not working for you anymore, get rid of it. Um, Do I think a treadmill would make the life of the shoe go a little bit longer? Yeah, probably. Um, I've not seen any study on it, but I'm assuming that that would be. But uh, I don't know. Am I answering this question properly? Let's see. So rule of thumb, five or six months, 20 miles per week. Uh, If you're only running 20 miles a week, yeah, I figure you probably get a half a year. Out of your shoes. And that's mostly just on the treadmill. Well, uh, on the treadmill, you should probably go longer. You should probably get more yardage out of it. Yeah. And and he he said even when he's doing that incline of like 15 to 30%. Yeah, it doesn't make any difference. I mean, actually, you no. probably get okay. more, more yardage out of your shoes on an incline than you would on flat. Because, again, oh, okay. the, the enemy of the shoe is going to be the friction. And going uphill, most people run pretty well on an incline. You're not going mm-hmm. to overstride and heel strike going up a hill. And it, you're not likely to toe dive going up a hill either. So you're yeah. going to find that your shoe's probably going to do a lot better if you're on an incline. Yeah, true. What else yeah, we got? Think, let me, let me mean, see. All right, yeah. You want to take the next one, or I have another one? Uh, yeah, okay. This is, this is a quick one. Okay. Uh, Aaron Brapson. Uh, he's from Texas. He's been to my clinics before. He said, there's a rumor of another book coming out from you. Would you be willing to confirm this and give us any details? Yes, there is another book coming out. It's been kicking my ass, you know, (laughs) you know, it really is. It's like some of my friends that write are so good at just knocking these things out. It kills me. My last book took me forever to write. And this one is starting to fall into the same pattern. Now I have to tell you, I'm in it. I've got like a lot of information laid into the book already. 
And the focus of the book initially was, and the, the theme of the book was going to be called Training the Dark Side. And for the most part, the focus was to speak on lactate tolerance training, because I think that's really important and it's not spoke of enough. The problem with just trying to identify and, and just kind of hone in on that one topic is that you have to get there and you have to have good running skills to get there. And that means that I got to talk about running skill. And every time I, I turn one way, I find out that there's something else I need to add to it. And then it takes me down another path. But I'm trying to stay focused on, on path and trying to keep as true to my word as possible on the topic. And I was, I was like shooting for maybe the fall of this year. My wife is telling me, no, you're going to have it done by the end of the summer. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, honestly, I, I would love every day that I wake up, I think about it and I put a little energy into it and then life gets in the way and it kind of takes me off path a little bit. Every time I travel, it takes me off path. Every clinic I do, it takes me off path. It just, I don't know. I'm just not that good at it. So be patient. All good comes to those who wait. <laughs> and uh, so hopefully we'll only have to wait until the end of summer then. <laughs> well, I'm hoping that maybe maybe even before then. I mean, we're still in the winter. Yeah. So maybe I'll get yeah. it out. Maybe at the end of spring, maybe I'll get it out. Okay, All right. Well, so, I won't hold you to that, but. <laughs> all right. Good. So I got to, let me get this one. This is, um. Uh, all right. So this is a guy, Greg has followed this show for years and he's not an OCR guy. He's a marathon runner, Greg Yates. And I know he's been following my training for years. And so his question is, what is a good strategy for the off season? I race marathons in the fall. So I ramp up from a, about June to race time, mid October, do a couple quality races in the fall, then take it easy, maybe very little running for a month or two, then get back to a base of about 35 to 40 miles a week before ramping up again. Most of the off-season uh, base is aerobic. Am I doing it wrong? By the way, I'm 50 years old and am still improving year after year following your methods. Oh, cool. I didn't even see that before. Uh, but I'm not sure my off-season routine is optimal. Okay, Greg, first of all, thank you for, for following my work. And I'm glad that it's working out for you. And, yeah, I think you are screwing it up. Um, I think that you, what's, what's missing right now for you is you need to ingest some high-intensity work even in the off-season. Now, it doesn't have to be long, but you definitely want to keep your fitness up because aerobic conditioning is great for your peripheral values and keeping you aerobic. But by keeping that low-intensity effort for a few months, you're sacrificing your fitness. So I really want to see you uh, take on about 20% of your training should be dedicated to high-intensity hill repeats, things like that. Um, I think it's important to note that the big thing on the off-season, and I think this, this goes across the board for anybody listening, is not to eliminate anything. What you want to do is cut the volume down of everything. So if your training week entails about 10 hours on average during the race season, Cut it down to like four or five hours. Just do less, but don't eliminate anything because all the things that are in your training program are important and you don't want to sacrifice your fitness, even though it's on the off season and you can sharpen your fitness and sharpen your neural capacities just by making sure that all the important components of your training are still intact. Um, I got another one here. Should I just kind of bomb through a couple of these? Yeah, go for it. All right, so Larry Caldwell. So, Larry, you know, I've been beating you up because you didn't make it to our clinic on the East Coast. Um, hopefully one day you'll get to one. But anyway, here's your question. He says, you mentioned that Vitargo works well for you personally as a hydration source. I've tried many and settled on proven nutrition. But since I ran out, I'm thinking of trying something else. Respected athletes suggest Beetleet, Enderlite or Endura Elite, Trail Wind, Hammer Nutrition, Heed. Not looked at all the labels, so I don't know the differences in them, relative electrolytes, GI, et cetera. But I did note with interest that it's important to use the right supplements 
at the right time, training versus recovery. I want to get this recipe right since up until now I was uh, training water, recovery, proven nutrition, core guy. Uh, I'm going into your 10K plan, and that is the race length I plan to run for OCR this season. All right, first of all, Larry, the bad news is I don't like my running templates for OCR. And anybody that's been reading my book, I hope I didn't just crush you. Now, you're going to keep your running skills up very nicely by following those templates. But I just think there is a lack of intensity in those training templates for OCR. So that's why I'm writing another book, incidentally. But to your question regarding nutrition, um, I've tried everything, Larry. I've tried literally everything. And I've been, I've been sponsored by many, many different companies over the years. So I've had a really interesting cross-section of information. Not only have I tried the products, but because I've been involved with a lot of these different people, I've had a chance to talk to the people that are developing the product and why they did what they did and you know what the benefits were from their approach. And you spoke of Vitargo, and Vitargo was one of those products, and it was one of those people that I discussed at great length what the value was in their particular offering. And the interesting thing about Vitargo is it's a very refined carbohydrate. And their claim to fame is by using Vitargo, you get a tremendous amount of carbohydrate pushed back into the system. And what they like to talk about is how you get more uh, glycogen replace, excuse me, glycogen replacement from that product than you would any other product. So they're, they're making claims of getting like upwards of six to 900 calories pushed into the system just by taking a bottle. And so the only thing close to that would be to have an IV. The downside of that product, and one of the reasons I kind of fell away from using it, was I felt that it wasn't a complete product. I like electrolytes in my, my drink, and there were no electrolytes in that drink, which means that you had to supplement the electrolytes as a side order to your, your taking on fluids, which to me is a pain in the ass. I don't want to have to think about carrying electrolyte tabs in my pocket, how I'm going to wash them down, and so on and so forth. So I want one-stop shopping. I've used Scratch Labs, and Scratch Labs is really more of an electrolyte beverage, but it does have some carbohydrate in it. It's just low amounts of carbohydrate. So if it's a short effort you're into, and if you're going to do, for example, a 10K, and that's your target distance, and you're not running beyond, say, an hour and a half, I think Scratch Labs works out very nicely because really what you want to do is make sure you're getting the electrolytes back. And if you get a little bleed of sugar, too, that's a bonus, but I don't like it for going long. If you're going to go out and do something really, really long, again, you'd end up having to supplement carbohydrate, and I don't like to have to do that. Another product that I've used and I like pretty well is from Pacific Health Labs, which is Accelerate. Now, Accelerate, the difference with them is they add some protein to the, to the beverage, and their argument is that the protein helps to mitigate muscle damage on the fly. So you're getting the carbs, you're getting the electrolytes, plus a little bonus of the protein. The downside is it doesn't hold up well. So if you're going to go long and you put the bottle in your car, the product can go bad. It can go rancid on you. And so that's kind of a downside too. So uh, what else? What else? What am I I know there. Oh, another one I tried recently was um, it's called Half Evil. And they call it Half Evil because you can get 333 calories in a drink, which is half a 666, for those of you who are scratching your head trying to figure it out. <laughs> and so the value in that product is that they use, um, what is it, beta-alanine, I can't ever pronounce that properly, as a protein supplement uh, because it's got aminos, right, proteins, aminos. And you get electrolytes and you get carbs and you get about 300 calories which is pretty good. I mean, typically you can only ingest about 250 calories that will be absorbed. Um, of course, that's assuming you're not doing Vitargo. And given that you're getting enough calories, you're getting the electrolytes, plus a little stabilization from the protein, not a bad idea. Whoosh. Lots of stuff, right? <clears throat> a thanks. lot, yeah. Yeah, thanks a ton, Larry. Your turn. My turn. All right. Let's see. I'm looking at the list here. Uh, you want a question about VO2? Why not? 
All right. This is actually from Laura Messner. It's a two-part question. So how often do you think is best to retest your VO2 max? And then the second part of the question is also in training, is it ever a good idea to sparingly get your heart rate at or a little above your max? Example, during the peak of a hill repeat. Okay, good questions. Uh, first of all, retesting VO2, uh, I think, you know, here I'm in that business, and I'm going to say this. I think that getting retested is almost kind of a luxury. If you can mm-hmm. afford to do it, do it. Um, when? I would suggest that, uh, uh, you know, I, I hate to spend other people's money for them, but let's do this. If I tested you today and your A race is six months out, I'd want to test again just before my A race to make sure everything's on point. Now, the advantage of doing the time trials that I speak of often is it gives you a chance to check your progress to see how things are going. If you time trial properly, you'll start to notice that there's changes in your responses to work, and you can adjust your heart rate responses relative to the way things are shaken out. So let's just say, for example, you start noticing that in a 10K that your, your, your average time drops by, say, three or four minutes. Odds are you're probably getting more aerobic. You're probably getting better at pushing your lactate threshold up, which is giving you some allowances. So, for example, let's just say that a particular heart rate, 150 beats per minute, you're burning 50% fat, 50% sugar initially. And then after a few months of training, you get to a place where you're burning like 70% uh, fat as opposed to 50% fat. Things are really improving. So you have a little latitude to increase your pace a little bit. So you might give yourself, say, 10 beats more to play with. And this can be borne out pretty readily just by doing the time trials. Now, if you do that well, the only time, again, that I would recommend doing another VO2 would be, say, before an important race, just to make sure you got all the details in place. Um, Barring that, uh, I think that getting tested twice a year would be a luxury. Once a year would be important because we change and coming off the off-season, getting a fresh test in the early part of the season is not a bad idea. And as far as getting your heart rate up to max, um, and I'm trying to make sure she's, she says here, I'm reading it too. It says, uh, okay. is it ever a good idea to sparingly get your heart rate to or a little above your max? Now, max could mean two things. It could be above your VO2 max or to your max heart rate. Now, VO2 max typically will come on before max heart rate. And so if she's saying VO2 max, yes, the answer is yes. I guess the answer is yes in both accords because doing the hill repeats, I don't really care too much about targeting a heart rate because the focus of that effort is to improve myocardium strength, get your heart uh, working most efficiently, improve the contractile forces of the heart so that you're able to empty the chambers into the system more efficiently, improve your cardiac output. So what does that is really high intensity efforts at short duration. So, yeah, I, matter of fact, I prescribed them in, in my training, and she should know that by now because I'm writing her program for her. But, <laughs> anyway, so right. we've we got time for some more. We've got, we got about six minutes, so let's, let's try to cram a few more of these down our throats. All right. Well, you're looking at it, too. I'm still looking for one. Do you have one in mind? Um. Okay, yeah, here's, here's a good one. This is going to kill two birds with one stone. All right. Greg, Greg Yoakum, he's out of Kansas City. He's been following my training for a bit. Well, actually, for a long bit. He's been to a couple of my clinics. Actually, I've been to his place to do a clinic. So, actually, he's been to three clinics. And he goes, as your progress, as you, as you, oh, okay, see, as you progress and get more efficient with your running, will your aerobic heart rate actually drop? i.e. I tested at 145 to 155. Now my aerobic heart rate is around 132 to 140. Yeah, so, and incidentally, Callie was curious about this too because I tested her a couple times, and the second time her aerobic heart rate response was lower, and she was freaking out, and she's probably still freaking out, and I never gave her an answer that was, you know, making her happy. So let's see if I can handle this as effectively as possible and put both these fires out. 
Okay, so heart rate response is a moving target. Now, let's say, for example, I tested you today, and we find that you're most efficiently running aerobically at 140 beats per minute. And then two weeks from now, let me restate this. Let's say uh, four months from now you come and see me, and I test you, and it says 130 beats per minute, or even 150 beats per minute for that matter. A couple things are happening. First of all, again, it's a moving target, and how the moon and stars line up the day I test you has influence. That's why I like to do a lot of time trialing. Now, if you start to notice that your performance is not falling off and your heart rate is getting lower relative to that particular heart rate, or you've been tested and your heart rate response is lower, then a couple things are at play here. Your cardiac output could be improving because realize that the number of beats per minute is a result of demand. So if you're able to satisfy the needs of the body with less beats, that's efficient. That's better. Now, if you find that your pace is falling off and your VO2 or your, your, your test results for aerobic conditioning come back a little lower than they were before, sure, maybe there's something a little amiss. It could be that that day it just wasn't working out for you because, again, it's a moving target. You're going to find your cost factors are going to go up, going to go down, that's why I really like to um, do the time trials. And if you're collecting data over time, what's really critical is that you get a chance to see a trend. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater over one episode. You just never know what may have occurred that caused you to be a little off or maybe even a little bit better on that moment. So let's say, for example, that I did a time trial. I got tested. I did a time trial. So just for the sake of argument, at 150 beats per minute, I'm going to run a mile to see how long it takes me if I don't exceed 150 beats per minute. And then four weeks later, I come out and try it again, and the time's improved. Rather than you know throwing a party because I'm getting better, I might look at that suspiciously and test again a couple days out to see if there's a trend. And if I've tested two, three times, and every time I come back, I start noticing that there's an improvement then I'm going to start to believe that that was, in fact, a benefit and I'm improving. So if you haven't done it, Callie, do some field tests to see what the pace looks like relative to your heart rate. If you start noticing that you're able to run faster, because it really becomes a function of relative information, heart rate against that pace, check yourself every now and then instead of freaking out. That's my best advice. Greg, you're getting older. Given that you're getting older, um, who knows? Uh, I'd have to have more information. So, you know, just looking at the heart rate is not enough information. I'd like to see what your pace is doing relative to those heart rates. And you didn't make that comment. So I think that's the last question, Zoe, because we're going to run out of time here. But, mm-hmm. folks, I, I do appreciate that everybody um, kicked in for us. And, I, got, I mean, we had – I must be about 25 questions that were written on social media. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm just going to encourage you folks when we do these and, and Zoe and I have already discussed that we're probably going to do a couple of these every now and then um, call in, talk to me. We do a much better job. If I have you there to rebut in case I make a mistake or don't say, or don't answer the question properly. And we will announce on social media, where should we put it? Should we put it on Instagram? Uh, just announcing when the next show is going to be. No, announcing who won. Oh, uh, I think we could share it on both uh, Instagram and Facebook. So we'll post. Uh, we'll talk about it. We'll post, and then based on the question and based on the answers, after reviewing the show, we'll we'll award some people some stuff. And uh, essentially, what I'm going to do is probably give them a bronze package to a clinic of their choice is what I'm thinking, and maybe even throw up a virtual video analysis for someone if they like it. Both of those are $175 value. Yes, I know. I'm a giver. (laughs) But anyway, Zoe, how'd it go? First time live. I thought it was good. You know, um, dealing with that switchboard, that was a little interesting. But, no, I thought it went really well. We had some really great questions, both people who uh, called in and also wrote some questions to you. 
Um, and I think you did a great job answering them. So I think it went well. Cool. All right, Zoe, till next time. I'm going to start the goodbye All music right. right now. All right. Well, friends, it's time to bring another show to a close. Be sure and tune in to us next week. We've got a lot of great content in store for you. I want you to tell your friends to check us out. You can always find us on Facebook. Simply go search the Natural Running Network. Drop us a message. I'd love to learn more about you and the things you do. And until then, you have an amazing day.